uh, with a bunch of older people. We used to sing a song, Nobody's There. You know, you could go to the grave of Buddha and you could see his bones. And they pray to, in Islam, they pray to Muhammad's bones. They pray there, that's a sacred place. But you go to the grave where Jesus was laid, and he is no longer there. Yeah. That's what this day is all about. We celebrate this day because this is the day we celebrate that Christ, our Savior, is risen from the grave. Without this most pivotal day in Christianity, what we do, what we say, how we act, without today, it's worthless. Everything pivots on this day. We're starting a new series called I Am Jesus. Now, I'm not saying I am Jesus, but this is the same name of the series, I Am Jesus. I've seen a few people that look like Jesus, but they are not Jesus. But what we're looking at is a statement, Jesus said, I am. I am. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father without coming to me. I'm the bread of life. If you eat of me, you will never no longer hunger again. Uh, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. So this morning, what we're going to be looking at is John chapter 11, 25. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Now when Jesus said this, it was in the context of a bigger story. And that bigger story is like a parallel to Jesus and the crucifixion. It's actually the story about Lazarus. And what happened in Lazarus' story, when Jesus said this, people didn't really understand what was going on because Jesus hadn't died and rose from the grave yet. So they still didn't quite understand, but we're going to walk through the story of Lazarus. In John chapter 11, 1, 3, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his and her sister Martha. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, we all face problems, even in this Easter time, which is a happy time. We're worshiping God, we're worshiping Jesus who rose from the grave. Uh, this afternoon, you know, some of you are going to go home and maybe have some Easter candy and Easter bunny. You got your Easter decorations, all these festive things that make things make life happy. If you've got little kids, it makes it even better, right? Those, those little eyes that look at all the Easter bunnies and all the different things, it makes life a lot better. But there's some people right now who are facing trouble in this season. Times of doubt, times of fear, lost a loved one around this time of year and this time doesn't mean the same thing to them. I know when I lost a sister and I lost my dad, both one the day before Thanksgiving and one the day after Thanksgiving, separate years, about 10 years apart, but for so long, Thanksgiving was a hard season to get through. When you lose loved ones around that time of year, it just automatically brings back memories that aren't good. And there's people that are suffering through this. Even though we're having a good time, there's people, you gotta, you gotta recognize there's people like this who lose loved ones. And um, you might be going through something in your life, you're losing something, lost a loved one, 
relationship that didn't work out the right way, or maybe you got a phone call about your teenager from the high school and it wasn't the same that there may be honor roll. It was because of some other thing that happened. But there's people going through things. And this what Jesus says here in verse 4 is really, really dynamic. He says this, he goes, uh, John 11, 4, when, he, when we heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end, end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. This very thing that people are facing, maybe you're facing right now, wishing it would never happen, never have happened, or wishing it would never happen to anyone else. God is going to be glorified through the worst situations, the worst news that you could ever imagine, the worst things that you ever face. God will be glorified through this. If we go on the story, I'm just going to summarize it for you. What does Jesus do when he hears this news? just sits there. It's not like he jumps up and goes, okay guys, let's pack everything up. We gotta head out because Lazarus is sick. We gotta make sure we get there before anything happens. He goes, no, let's chill for a couple days. Let's just relax. Let's stay here for a couple days. Nothing. He does nothing. He waits for two days. And two days later, he sits up and goes, hey, you know what? Let's go to Judea. And the disciples jumped up and said, hey, look, if we go to Judea, you know what's going to happen? They're going to try to kill you. Why would you want to go back there? And he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to go there and wake him up. Now, not the kind of sleep that we're probably going to face this afternoon if you're going home to have a big dinner with a lot of carbs. And next thing you know, you're going to crash on your couch because you're tired and you're overcome by carbs. Not that type of sleep. What he's doing, he's talking about a metaphor for Lazarus. That he's gone. He's dead. But he's not going to stay dead. We're going to go raise him from the dead. And if you look through the set of eyes from a few people this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to look through their eyes and see where maybe you and I are dying on the inside. We're dying through things, through situations that we're going through. Or maybe a situation that you've just come out of. Like I've always said, you're either going into a situation, you're in a situation, or you're coming out of one. That's just the way seasons of life work. And the first one is this, is Thomas. Thomas is dead in what? What is Thomas known for? His doubts. He's dead in his doubts. All through scripture, Thomas is known for being known as Doubting Thomas. And John eleven sixteen says this, Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, every time I say that, it just cracks me up. It sounds like a bad rapper name. <laughs> Didymus. <laughs> Doubting Didymus. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us go. That way we can die with him. Jesus just said, Hey, let's go to Judea. And Thomas is like, Yeah, hey, let's all go. Let's all go die. Why not? You know, that's, that's a really sarcastic statement. And he, he's doubting what Jesus is doing. And it's like, let's all just go and die with him. You know, why do we want to go there? It doesn't make sense to me. How many of you have been dead in your doubts? How many of you have doubts in your life about your faith? Can you raise your hand? I mean, come on, there's more than that. 
If you're not, then you must be perfect, and I'm sorry. You know, you're the perfect one. You can go polish your halo. But um, how many of you have prayed for something and nothing happened? You believed in growth when you were growing up. That you had this faith in God. You watched your parents, maybe. If you had really good parents that were Christ followers, and you watched God work through them, and then all of a sudden you became an adult, and things just didn't work out the way you thought. Then you start questioning yourself. Was it my parents' faith? You know, am I living through my parents' faith or trying to gain their faith? If God is so good, why do bad things happen to people in life? You start to doubt. Why me? Why are bad things happening to me? Maybe I don't have enough faith. Maybe it's things that I'm doing. Am I, am I just not good enough? Am I making mistakes here and there? Me and Sydney ask ourselves all the time, are we just stupid? Are we just stupid? You know, do we, do we really, like, do we really believe we have to live this way? And we have the doubts. Suddenly what happens is those doubts start creeping in and your face starts to die on the inside and you start becoming dead in your doubts. The next person is Mary, dead in your discouragement. Uh, you don't see anything happening around you, that nothing's gonna happen or nothing's happening and you cannot seem to get a break because your life just seems to be falling apart everywhere you look. In John 11, 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed. What did Mary do? She stayed home. She was like, why bother going out? I don't even need to go out there. He's already dead. There's nothing that you can do now about the situation because it's all over. Always depressed, always failed. The loved ones around me are still hurting. I'm working this dead end job. The dreams that I had falling by the wayside. Some of you, that might be where you're at right now. Facing discouragement. Facing discouragement. Smiling on the outside. It's Easter Sunday, right? Came in your nice new clothes. Easter Sunday, smiling on the outside. You can say the right things. How's it going? Pastor, it's going great. It's Easter Sunday. I'm having a great time. Well, you're dying on the inside. We can put on a good makeup. We can put on a good facade. Make everybody think that life is just grateful that we're dying on the, the discouragement on the inside. The last one is dead and delay. Dead and delay. This is Martha. God took Luke too long. How many times have you felt that? So you're praying and praying and praying and nothing's happening. God is taking so long to get the situation to get you where you need to be. And God just doesn't seem like he's listening. John 11, 17 says this, on the arrival Jesus found Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days. Why does four days matter? It's very important. Because in this day and age, when this, when this happened and when Lazarus died, it was common belief, it's not religious belief, 
but it was a common belief like folklore that a spirit would hang around in the body for two days. Just in case the person wasn't really dead, that he was almost dead, sort of dead, kind of like the Princess, Princess Bride. Is it almost dead, or he's sort of dead, mostly dead? But on the fourth day, everything changed. On the fourth day, the belief was the spirit was gone. There's no way that the spirit is coming back into the body. Lazarus has been dead for four days. He was totally dead. He was deader than a doornail. He was dead. He was gone. Nothing was going to happen. Nothing was going to change because he was gone. He was dead for four days. In the King James Version, uh, when uh, Martha was saying about how bad it was, she said they were going to roll, roll the stone away, and she goes, he's stinking. He's stinking. He's gone. He's dead. Why are you doing this stuff? Because he's stinking. But in verse 21, Lord, uh, Martha says this, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You took too long. You didn't show up. Some of us right now are going through that. We're asking God to do something in our lives, to, to do something good, to, to impact our messed up families, to impact our, our relationship with others, to, I've got a death note. The doctor told me it's not going to be good. Whatever it is you're facing, we're, we're, we're on a time schedule, we're waiting for God to show up. But we're dead in our delays. Just because God does not show up does not mean he is not in control. We have to realize that. Just because God does not show up right now, when we expect him to show up, does not mean that God is not in control of the situation. We have to have faith in God. But this is what Martha says in verse 22. John 11, 22. But I know that even now God will give you what you ask for. Even now, God will give you what you ask for. Sometimes we need to have an even now moment with God. A time in, with God where our faith becomes alive. A, a time that we believe even now in the situation, the problem that I'm in, God is still God. He is still control, in control, and anything is possible with what? Anything is possible with God. When you're discouraged, the presence of God can build your faith. And even though moment, a moment when you're alone, and even now a moment when the Holy Spirit comes to you and knows uh, you know that you're not alone. And even now a moment when life is impossible to handle, and God saying, I am here. All things are possible with me. In verses 23 to 26, the story goes on to say, Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of the life. I am the resurrection of the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus didn't say, I can do a resurrection. 
I can perform a resurrection. He said, I am the resurrection. You get that? I am the resurrection. It's no longer a verb. It is now a noun. I am the resurrection. The resurrection is not an event that happened 2,000 years ago. The resurrection is a person. He is, because I am the resurrection and the life. He's now able to, he did say, I'm able to go back to I am. When, when the resurrection walks into the room, dead things come to life. And the resurrection, Jesus looks at the tomb where Lazarus is, is stinking, where he's in there riding away, and he says to the disciples, take the stone away. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice. I don't know why a loud voice. Maybe deaf, dead people have a hard time hearing. But he says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let him be I love the contrast between this story and the story of Jesus. Because Jesus is standing there and he's telling the disciples, go ahead, take the stone away. On Sunday morning or resurrection morning 2,000 years ago, the ladies were walking up to the tomb and they're probably thinking, who's going to roll the stone away? They get up to the tomb. The stone is rolled away. It's already gone. Some of you feel dead inside. You're putting on the good mascara to feel good, to look good on the outside, but inside you're dying. You're dying in your faith. You're dying in your hope. You're dying in the delay. You're dying in doubt. Some of you are bound by those cloths. You're trying to live life, but you know what? You can't live life because the things that you're wrapped up in have you bound and you can't be free. You're still in your grave clothes. You feel trapped in the tomb and you feel like you don't have any strength to roll away the stone. Here's the thing. You feel like Thomas, full of doubt. You feel like Mary, full of discouragement. You feel like Martha, with delay. You feel like all these people were there on Friday, just a few days ago, watching Jesus being crucified. Sitting there going, you were supposed to save others, and now you're not saving yourself. You were supposed to bring the kingdom of heaven to us, but you're dying on the cross. They didn't understand. And you're dead what, tomorrow's going to be the same way. If you're sitting there on Friday watching Jesus be crucified, you don't know what's happening. Just like you don't know what's happening in your life right now. The doubts, the spirit, you don't understand. But we have to realize something. We have to realize today is Sunday. What are we celebrating today? We're celebrating the resurrection and the life. 
We're celebrating the resurrection of life. We have to stop living on Friday. We have to stop living on Friday. All the doubts, all the despair, all of the hurt, all of the anger that was there on Friday. We have to start living Sunday. The resurrection. The, the same voice that said Jesus or said Lazarus come out of the grave is calling you to come out of the grave. Come out of your doubts. Come out of your fears. Come out of your discomfort. Come out of your, your anger. Your doubts. I don't know why I'm sticking with doubts, but maybe you even doubt that God is even real. I know a lot of people like that. If there is a God, I'll be alright because God likes good people like me. Jesus, which we'll get into a couple weeks ago, is I'm the way, the truth, and the life. To get to the Father, you have. There's a difference. You can't just be a good person and that doesn't happen. And the Spirit of God, right now, in your doubts, can touch you, can break your heart. Maybe there's something in your life that is just holding you away from a close relationship with God. The Holy Spirit can change that just like from Friday to Sunday. The doubt, our future is done. Jesus is crucified. We just wrap him in clothes and put him in the grave. Where do we go from here? They all went back. All the disciples went back to their homes. They met together. They cried. They doubted. What is going on? It might look like Friday in your life. It might feel like Friday. But this is Sunday. The stone is rolled away and the tomb is empty. Sunday does not mean that everything is all right. It just means God will be glorified in every situation. He will be glorified. Life will not be perfect. Life will be messed up because we are jacked up people. <laughs> Simple fact. We are jacked up. But God said he will be glorified through every situation as long as you follow after him. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. We have to live for Sunday. And we're going to celebrate this, that this morning. We're going to do communion here in a minute. And we're going to close with a song. We're going to do the song a little different. Now, I know some of you have a past. I'm not talking about that. When you were younger, hit the club. Okay? And you party. And you got a little crazy. or anything like that. 
So I'm going to put the communion up here, and then we will have communion together. You go ahead and play the video. This is
about Jesus and the disciples who were sitting at the Last Supper. They're sitting around the table, and Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it apart and passed it around. And he said, This is my body. So we broke it. our faith, our hope in you when times get tough. When we go through things that we don't want to go through. When we have disbeliefs, when we have doubts, when we have discouragement, when we feel alone, when we feel like you're not even there. When it feels like Friday, we have to realize there was a Sunday. Then the tomb was rolled away. And you weren't there. You said this life was not going to be easy. But you said you would never leave us. You would never forsake us. And we thank you for that this morning, God. Encourage us and strengthen us when we go through these problems, when we go through these some little ones that are going to do some things. Just let them, let them go. Show them, let them show you what it's like.
And it's just the way people lived because people lived in small communities. Every little tiny church pretty much had a cemetery around it. Yeah. Okay? You know, and then, so as a kid, you're running around going, okay, here's all these dead people. And my grandma lived like three doors down. In this old house, now this house is probably 130, 140 years old. And go down in the basement, you know, it didn't have a furnace, it had a, uh, a wooden coal-burning stove downstairs, and it was one of those giant ones that looked like Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Remember the movie? You got this little tiny mouth, and it's like, ah. <laughs> and of course, you know, this house had electricity. It finally got indoor plumbing when I was in a teenager, because we used to go to the outhouse. But it, it had electrical in it, and you know, electricity, we're so spoiled. In our houses right now, we got outlets everywhere we look. We flip a switch and the light comes on. These old houses that weren't built with electricity, you wound up with one light bulb. And it's in the center of the room. And there was no little flip switch. So you had to walk down these stairs into a totally dark room with a Freddy Krueger furnace sitting there. And you go like this and try to find the string <laughs> to pull the string to turn the light on. Now as a child, that's frightening. As an adult, it's still frightening. <laughs> you know, it, it just, there's something about darkness that we don't like. Sometimes darkness, though, in our lives, we do things in the dark that we don't always do in the but darkness is scary. But as long as there's a little bit of light, we have comfort. You put a little light bulb, a little light on the subject, and all of a sudden, it becomes less scary. And all through scripture, you see a contrast of light and darkness. Light and darkness. Jesus, in the very beginning, God said, um, let there be light, and all of a sudden there was light, because the world was dark. The world was darkness. It was just a void. And he said, let there be light, and all of a sudden there's day, and then there's night. He separated the two, to day and night. Through the Bible, uh, God is always called the light. Uh, as a spiritual uh, being, he is the light of the world. Satan is always considered Darkness, the prince of darkness. Uh, there's this distinct contrast between the two, God and Satan. And in Acts 26, uh, it says this, Yes, I am sending you, uh, this is when uh, Paul was being called, he said, I'm sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may, they may turn from darkness to light and, the power, and from power of Satan to God. Now, if you've been in the church for a while or around the church, You've heard the phrase, I am the light of the world. You've heard that phrase, and since I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. You've heard it, but you don't maybe know the context of when it was being used, or when it came from. And the statement actually was used in one of the points of scripture where you see Jesus just outpouring his grace actually happens to be the woman who was caught in adultery. And right before he says, I am the light of the world, he encounters this woman and he encounters 
some Pharisees. So what I want to look at this morning is three things through this story. The law, the love, and the light. The first one is the law. Number one, the law reveals our guilt. The law reveals, reveals our guilt. John 8, uh, verse uh, 2 says this. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now right away you can notice a couple things. Notice the guy wasn't present. A little different standard. <laughs> he wasn't being held accountable. She was caught in the act of adultery. Most likely they pulled her right out. She may have been naked. She may have been able to grab a sheet, something to wrap herself up with. Was she wrong? Yes, she was wrong. So was he. But he's not in the story because of different accountability. Was she uh, sinful? Yes, she was. Was she guilty? Yes, she was. This was her lowest moment. She's standing in front of most likely a whole bunch of men as Jesus was teaching. Because you've got to realize the concept. There's not a lot of women allowed to be around teachers at the time. And the Pharisees were all men. So here's this woman barely clothed, if clothed at all, in front of a bunch of men. She's being berated. She's being scorned. She's probably being drugged across the ground. She's in the lowest, most humiliated time of her life. In verse 5 it goes, in the law, Moses commanded, this was the Pharisees, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now Jesus, what do you say? They were using this question to trap him in order to have a basis for accusing him. They're trying to trap Jesus in this one question. And according to the law, she's what? She's guilty. She's guilty. So if Jesus agreed with the law and she was to be stoned, he would lose his reputation of being loving, being caring, have having grace to pour out on others. But if he, if Jesus forgives her, then he's condoning adultery and he's going against the laws that Moses came out with. So, he's stuck right in the middle of two places. We live in a world where people don't like to admit guilt. Face it. If you don't believe me, go down to the local court and sit there and watch I bet you won't find one person who goes in front of the judge or the magistrate and says, yes, sir, I'm guilty. You won't find it. You'll have two people, they're both innocent. I don't know how it can actually happen, but both of them are innocent. They'll find, they'll manipulate, they'll move, they'll say whatever they have to. Because you know why? We are good people. We're all good people, right? We're good people. But like I said at the beginning, in the eyes of God, we're not good. We're sinful. Ask you a question. Have you ever told a lie? Mm -hmm. Raise your hand, yeah. Even even the, the good ones, the ones that keep you out of trouble, like, you know, how do I look at these jeans? Great, great, <laughs> just perfect, beautiful. Have you ever stolen something? 
stolen something? If you're a woman, open up your purse and look for all your pens. Guys, go out to the cubby holes of your car and look for all your pens. I bet you there's a pen there stating someone's business that you probably grabbed on the way out. You stole something. How many play golf? Well, you've been parents. A few choice words. God's name is vain when something doesn't go right. And you know what? It just flows. It's not like I meant to say it. It just right off my tongue. Hit that ball the wrong way. Luckily, I, I'm not a, I, I don't cuss, period. So, I mean, I, I hit my hands. I've wanted to some points in time, but I haven't. But things just flow off of our mouth. So, basically, we're lying, cheating, thieving, blasphemy. That's technically what we are. We're all sinners. And why is it so important? Because until you recognize who you are, who we are, we have to understand that we need a Savior. Kind of like the addict. The addict doesn't always believe they're an addict. They can always shut it down. They can always stop it. They can always get out. But do they? No. Because it's hard. They don't get out until they realize, you know what? This is not of my control. I have a problem. That's when the addict really can be happy. When they realize they have and the, the law is there to help us realize that we are sinful. We have a problem. Then it leads to the love, love reveals God's grace. The love reveals God's grace. They're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to trap him. And in verse 6, Jesus does this. He ignores their question. They're asking questions. What, what do you say we should do with her? But he ignores them. And in verse, 80, uh, verse 6, he says this, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his fingers. Kind of like, okay, guys, I don't want nothing to deal with you. And he kneels down, and he starts doodling in the dirt. You know, what's he writing? There's no real descriptive uh, scriptures that say exactly what he's writing. You have to kind of break it down a little bit. And later manuscripts will say he was writing the sins of the accusers, all the, the sins of the Pharisees. And actually, if you break down the Greek wording here, when, when he says write, there's two words it can be. It can be graffin, where we get graffiti, mm -hmm. which means to write down. But there's also another word, and this is the actual word they use, catagraphin. Catagraphin, kata means against. So writing down against. Writing down a record against someone. That's what he was doing. That word they use for write is catagraphy, which means he was kneeling down on the ground, writing out offenses of the Pharisees that were standing there. See, Jesus is God in man. He knows what's going on. He knew everything. So there's no doubt that he knew what was in their hearts, what was in their minds, what was in their past. And he was most likely writing those things down in the sand. In verse 7 it says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Without sin, another Greek word 
And this without isn't just without sin. It means without even wanting to sin. Without even wanting to sin. It's not just focusing on the outward, what, we're, what we do, but it's also focusing on the inward, on the heart of the situation. Hey, any of you who have never done anything wrong, and even if you've never wanted to do anything wrong, you be the first one to throw the first one. The judgmental, arrogant uh, guys, the Pharisees who are standing there, they look, they realize, kind of like we do. And what they did was, and we're guilty of this too, is we look at everybody else's sin and darkness in their life. And we talk about it, we throw the stone with our words without even looking in our own lives and the darkness in our own lives. But we're, you know what? we're quick to throw the stone, the verbal stone, at someone when they make a mistake or when they, when they stumble. We're quick to throw that stone. And that's what these Pharisees were. They're quick to throw the stone. John 8, uh, verses 8, uh, verse 8 to 11 says this. Again, he stooped down and wrote it on the ground that this at this, those who heard began to go away one by one at a time. The older ones first. Why the older ones? I have not a clue, unless they had so much more guilt inside of them. But the older ones left first until Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are you? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, sir. And he said, neither do I condemn you. By God's grace, you are not what you did. Revelation 12 says that Satan, our accuser, our accuser comes around. Our accuser. Those are the words in your head. When you've done something wrong, and you get there and go, you know what? God will never be able to use you because of what you've done. Where are those words coming from? From your heart. The accuser. <laughs> the accuser. God can do anything he chooses to do. He is almighty God. He is everywhere all the time. He is the all-powerful. And he can use you. He loves using people who make mistakes. You look through the Bible, there is not one perfect person that God uses. It's, it's not someone that just goes, oh, they're perfect. No. <laughs> he used thieves. He used people who got into adultery. He used people that killed people, that destroyed lives, and they crossed paths with him. And they were changed. Never let the evil accuser in your life just to destroy you with his words and his accusations. The voice of the accuser. Now was she guilty? Yes. Did she deserve punishment? Yes. But it was because of his love and his grace 
that was revealed because of his love. She deserved it, but she didn't get it. We are the same way. We deserve so much more. We deserve to be wiped out. But through his grace, his mercy, his love for us, that he wants to interact with us. He wants to be with us. And until we see ourselves as sinners, we will not know our need for a Savior. And the law reveals guilt, but the, God's love reveals grace. And he looks on this broken woman who is ashamed, and she was down by every human being within miles. She, she was put down. She was most likely a prostitute. And he sees what's going on in her life, and uh, he says, I do not condemn you. The interesting thing is what Jesus says next. Jesus didn't say, I forgive you, and I understand the situation that you're in. I understand that your dad probably left, and you have this problem with, with trying to find love with men. And I understand this is just the way you are. He says, so you know what? You could just try to be better. Try not to get into the circumstances like you're in right now. Try not to hang out with married men and all this kind of stuff. He doesn't say that. In the same way, he doesn't say, hey, try to be a good person. The darkness is in your life. The times of when you're in the darkness and you do things you shouldn't be doing, he doesn't say, try to be better. What, what does he do for this woman? The same thing I believe he does for all of us. He looks at her and he says, Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. Go now and leave your life of sin. There's this urgency. Go now. Not later. Go now. You can be free. You don't have to live in darkness. Go now. You don't have to live there anymore. The light of the world is on the scene. And whenever the light shows up, darkness has to flee because light always overtakes darkness. you got to understand that light, the light always overtakes darkness. Do you remember when you were a kid and you had a dispute? What did you do? Rock, paper, scissors. Right? One, two, three, boom. One, two, three, boom. One, two, three, boom. Everybody knew the rules, right? <coughs> Paper always covers rock. Rocks always smash the scissors. And scissors always cut the paper, right? There's no disputing it. These are the facts. Dynamite blew up rock. This is the fact. Light always defeats darkness. Who is the light? Jesus is the light. Amen. The law reveals our guilt. The love reveals God's grace. And the light reveals our hope. This is where it all matters. So hang with me just through this last point. Verse 11, go now leave your life of sin. Full of hope. You don't have to live this way anymore. You don't have to do that anymore. You can cut it out. I forgave you, and now stop it. He was taking all of this 
And he was telling her that she is no longer the way she was. Her sins were forgiven. And he goes on to say, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus was looking at her and said, neither do I condemn you. And at that moment, she no longer had to live that way because he was no longer the light of the world. Jesus was the light of her world. It became a personal thing. Here's the problem with religion. Religion says you will never, ever be good enough. You might as well stop. Or you might as well, if I do all of these things, I will be good enough. Jesus didn't come for religion. He came for a relationship. Yes. He came to this earth in the form of Jesus so that he can connect us back to him. Because otherwise it was, it was this process of having to do sacrifices and having to be washed, and having all these processes you had to jump through. And he said, you know what, I've had enough of processes. They don't work. You want to know they don't work? Go back and look at the Old Testament. Because they had to keep redoing them, they had to keep redoing them, they had to keep redoing them. Jesus came one time for all to do away with the process so that we could have a relationship with him. Religion is forms and structure. Relationship is Jesus Christ. Amen. Our God is a personal God. One that loves you where you are. But, but, he doesn't leave you in your mess. Amen. He does not leave you in your mess. That's why he said, you will be in the light as long as you walk with me. That means daily walking. Our, our God is a personal God and he loves you where you are. He will not leave you in your mess. He's a God that wants to walk with you every day. He wants to walk you out of your messy life that you're in. He wants to spend each day with you and encountering you and you and encountering him. And when you walk with him every day, what happens? He puts you on a path that takes you out of the mess you're in. He puts you on a new path. It doesn't mean everything is perfect, but it means you're walking down the road, and what happens? Sometimes you will what? You will step in a pothole. You'll stumble a little bit. You'll get a little shaky, but you're on the path. He will guide you on the path. And it's kind of cool about a flashlight. If you've ever been out in the darkness, and you're walking, maybe you're hiking or whatever, and you got that flashlight. You know, that flashlight only sees or only lights up so far in front of you. It doesn't light up your whole entire pathway. So you have to stay within that light to see where you're going. It's the same thing with Jesus. Jesus doesn't, oh, I go to sleep and I have my whole life in front of me. It's all open and I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly where this path is going to take me. No. You know where the path is as you take steps down the road. You have to stay within the light. 
the state in the path. And that's what he's saying. As long as you're walking in my light, I will always be with you. I will be always lighting up the world around. And that's what he said. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. But will have the light of life. The light always, always defeats darkness. So we don't have to walk around in darkness. This is a dark world. The Bible says this is a dark world. And who is the prince of this dark world? Satan. We are the light. We have the light inside of us. And as long as we continue to walk in the light, Jesus will always be with us. And that's where we get a little confused. We try to maybe take the light over this way, and the light over this way. Jesus is saying, walk down the path with the light. I will always be with you. Jesus is the light. Stay out of the darkness. Continue to walk with Jesus daily. Let's pray. Father, I ask God that you just speak to everyone this morning. As the light shines, help us stay in the light. You sent your Son to die for us. Show us the way back to you, God. To, to have that personal relationship so we can see the light and be drawn to the light, Father. And I ask this morning that you draw hearts to you. That, that your Holy Spirit work in miraculous ways, Father, that your love and your grace down and see the darkness inside of us. We all know we hold things in our hearts. Whether it's anger, doubt, fear, we're worried about things we've done in the past. And all you want to do is shine a light on drive them away, because they're all from the accuser. God, help us stay in the light, God. May we encounter you this morning as we worship, as we worship you in this final song. If there's anybody who wants to come forward and pray, I'll be right here with you. Maybe there's some light, something that you need to bring light between you and God. Confession or something that you need God to know. He knows everything, but sometimes verbalization to you is what he's looking for. Father, your spirit do his work. We love you, we thank you.